Okay, so welcome back to another episode of the Empowered Podcast. Today I'm joined by Anna Waters. Anna, thank you for coming on. And I will pass it over to you to just tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and then we'll we'll get into it from there. So thank you for having us on. No problem. I am a personal trainer and online coach. Um, yeah, I've just moved back from being away with my personal training. So now just getting set back up with my business in the Northeast. Awesome. So you moved to Dubai to personal train essentially. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the rationale behind moving out to Dubai. Yeah, so Dubai, the place itself was quite random. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to go away abroad somewhere, Yeah, somewhere sunny, <laughs> but obviously, yeah. but I didn't really know where exactly I'd want to go. Um, in the back of my mind, I'd always think maybe Australia, somewhere like that, but I never put any plans in place. And then I found out about this job opportunity to work in a gym in Dubai. Um, I just thought may as well apply for it. If I don't get it, yeah. I don't get it. If I do go with it. So I applied, um, went through the process, got that job. So I was like, okay, Dubai's the place that I'll go to then. So I just hopped on a plane <laughs> to right. Dubai really. Um, and when I went, I didn't know how long I wanted to go for. It was more of a, I'll go and see how I feel when I'm out there. And mm-hmm. if I'm not that keen, I can always come back. Yeah. Um, and I did a year and I just feel like a year was enough. Enough to get an ex- the experience. Exactly, yeah. I feel like I just got everything that I wanted out of it. And because Dubai was never a place that I was like, oh, I'd love to go to Dubai. Mm-hmm. I was very much like, yeah, I'm happy to come home now. I've done my time there, time to go back. Dubai's the sort of place that I could never imagine putting roots down. You know, I don't think it's the sort of place that you would go to and live and spend the rest of your life there. I don't know, it just, it it almost feels like the sort of place that you just, it serves a purpose and you go there, but not the sort of place that you could imagine you know, retiring. Like a family and stuff. Yeah. yeah, I know it's a weird one. Um, it's full of expats and people are always coming and going. Um, people seem to be staying there a lot longer now than what they used to. And I think it's because the lifestyle is just so comfy there mm-hmm. and time goes so quick. Yeah. So, but it is hard to get settled there. It's just like a rabbit wheel though, isn't it, in Dubai? Yeah. Like once you get there and you get on it and it's so fast paced and it's always moving and there's always new people coming in. It seems yeah. like there's a lot of opportunities. So in terms of, um, you know, making that decision, what was the actual process like of actually moving to a different country? To move to Dubai was so easy. So, so easy. Um, the com- I was lucky because the company that I was working for, they sorted all the visa and everything out. So literally all I needed to do was pack my case and go. Um, it's easy because there's so much information online. There's like a Brits in Dubai Facebook group, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And because everyone, there's so many people in the same position as you, ev- there's so much information out there. It's so easy to do and it's good when you're over there because it's so easy to meet people because of that reason, because yeah. everyone's open to making new friends. Whereas if, for example, you came 
from living somewhere else in Newcastle. It might be a little bit harder well, to people meet people. have got friendships that are already established and family yeah. there. Yeah. Whereas I guess that the only thing people really have there is their friends yeah. and people that they meet. So it's not always, you know, they don't always have those kind of family ties and those commitments that they might have to, um, that they might have kind of back in the UK. Um, so in terms of working in the fitness industry, what differed from working in the fitness industry in the UK compared to Dubai? Um, so in the UK, I was working in a commercial gym. So then I went from a commercial gym to a private sort of setup in Dubai, which was really, really good. I liked that transition. Um, I'd say the clients that I was working with in Dubai were the busiest people I've ever worked with. You are telling them to hit the step goals, but they also, like their lifestyles were insane. Because mm. a lot of people there are just like work, work, work. So then I feel like that was probably the biggest change in terms of clients. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously people are busy here, but it's just, it's slightly different because in Dubai, a lot of people live there because they're always traveling with the job as well. Right. So then it was like working around them also traveling, like, oh, next week I'm going here, there and everywhere. Yeah. So I think that was the biggest change. Um, and then you're no longer working with local people. You're working with people from all over the world. Yeah. Um, which is a really nice mm. experience. And I feel like that's probably one of my favorite things, just getting to know more people and getting to experience training different types of people. Yeah. Yeah. And getting a little bit of an insight into their culture as well and, yeah. and kind of finding things out about them. So in terms of um, the kind of clientele that you had out there, um, what was the kind of, um, you know, what what sort of people was it that you were training? Was it, you know, what sort of, because obviously in the UK, like you said, pretty much everyone's doing a similar sort of thing. You know, my, people might be in different careers and stuff, but it's not very often that people will be traveling so much. So what, like who were the sort of people that you were training? Like what? So just people high up in like banking, for example, right. um, pilots, things like that. Um, but yeah, very, very busy career focused people. I yeah. mean, some of the women, to be honest, I'd look at them, I'd look up to them because I'd be like, how are you doing this? Mm. I would work and I'm like, I'm shattered. Yeah. And I'm like, you're also working out, you're in a deficit, which is hard at time, mm -hmm. the best times getting your steps in, you're doing your cardio, you're also bringing up a family and yeah. then you have this crazy high pressure job. And I just used to think, how do you fit all of this in yeah. to your life? Was it mainly women that you trained? A mixture of both, um, but ma yeah, mainly women. Yeah, who do you prefer training? Oh, this is a tough question. Yeah. I automatically want to say women. But then I've also had so many male clients. I'm like, oh, I love training them. So yeah. it is, it is a tough one because I do enjoy. It's a training different challenge, more. isn't it? It is. I think that's why I like training both because mm. it does just make it a little bit different. It's not obviously not every single woman's the same, anyways. But yeah. it just makes it a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely found um, it was more challenging training women for yeah. me because obviously it was difficult for me to. Um, from my own personal experiences, I didn't have many that I could lean on in terms of their experiences. So it was very much, you know, I knew the science behind it and I knew what I'd seen and the the experiences that I've had of training lots of different women. So I, I had some sort of, you know, general idea, but I didn't know what it felt like 
to train as a woman, whereas I knew what it felt like to train as a man. So I could, you know, I had like personal experience. So yeah. when I'm training another guy, you know, I, I can, I've got a good understanding, even just body types and things like that and, and like eating and, and, and different, like variety of different things. So I definitely think it's a, it's a different challenge. Um, so the reason I asked you the sort of people that you were training, I think one of the best things about the fitness industry and, you know, any service sort of industry is spending time with people who are in a different profession to you, who are doing different things. And I really think you can learn a lot from those people. Like you said there with the inspiring yeah. thing, was there any people or, you know, obviously we don't have to go into specifics, but was there any people or jobs in particular that you felt when you were spending time with them, it was in, you know, improving you and giving you an insight into what they did and, and some, some sort of things that you could take inspiration from or learn from those people? I suppose it's like if you want to do something you can do something mm -hmm. because like I said with how busy they were still putting in the effort in and obviously when you're in a deficit like you can start to feel more tired and then you're doing all this this cardio all the steps it's like that's really tiring in itself mm. but then when you have such a high demanding job you can't let things yeah. slip up so then you would look at these people you're like wow they really have their shit together yeah so you've got no excuse you need to have your shit together yeah so it's like it was good to work with them and just to find out more about their work ethic mm -hmm. i suppose and then just like have general conversation and just see how they they value things and it was good because they would also share their challenges with you for example the women mm -hmm. about like oh i'm not getting to see the kids this weekend or it's like I'm having to take the kids here there and then and then it's like do you mm. ever sit down yeah. do you ever get chance to just breathe it was insane so I think it's just learning and just seeing their work ethic is just like wow yeah and also you know some days it's 40 degrees which also you know yeah it does it tires you out it definitely it does it does and then yeah in summer that was one of the another reason why I thought, yeah, it's time mm -hmm. to go now because I was considering it. I just thought, okay, now it's about to be summer, and I'm such an outdoorsy person. You have to be indoors. You can't be outside like more than a five minute walk, and you are sweating. Mm. Like the heat is just unbearable. So, and that is so so tiring. So I just thought, yeah, time to head back home. And then it's the going from hot to cold, hot to go cold. You feel like you're just constantly looking for right where's the next place with AC because I just need to cool down and it's yeah. like yeah would you go back do you think oh this do you feel is like a, you've done it now this is a really tough question I feel like because there's so many other places I want to go to mm. I'm like why would I go back to Dubai because I feel like I've done it but at the same time like Dubai is so still so up and coming there's always something new going on there yeah. um I think the biggest reason I'd go back would be just to see the friends that I made there because I'm lucky I made such good friends mm. there. Um, maybe I'd go and stop there if I was traveling somewhere else and just stop over in Dubai, but I can't yeah. see myself going there for like a long period. See, I don't. maybe your situation is different to a lot of the friends that I have who work out there. So obviously, you, were you employed by an actual, so were you kind of, you weren't like there on a self-employed basis. So you were just basically kind of paid a salary yeah. for, for being there. So maybe that's changed your experience slightly of Dubai because obviously the people that I know who are kind of self-employed personal trainers out there, obviously their earning potential 
is far greater than it is here. So, you know, one yeah. of my friends, he's charging, you know, anywhere between kind of four and 500 dirhams a session. So, you know, on any, on any given day, 500 dirhams now is like what, 125 pound. So on any given day, he could be making between kind of 12 and 1500 pounds, yeah. which is probably better than most personal trainers in the UK make a week. So his issue is how can he ever come home? Because yeah. he's now in this kind of cycle where his standard of living and his expectations for the, you know, for the amount of money that he should be making. And, you know, especially if you connect any sort of, um, if you connect any, you know, sense of self-worth to the amount of money that you make, obviously, you know, that's just a normal thing to do. Nobody really ever wants to go backwards in yeah. their earnings. You know, it's not like anybody wants to go from earning 1500 pounds a day to 1500 pounds a week, it would just, yeah. you would, you know, that, that would take some getting used to and some adjusting to. So for those people, they're in like this kind of difficult position where there's nowhere to go for them. You know, they're, they're in Dubai, they're making the most they could be making. What were your experiences of the kind of earning potential versus the, the cost of living and stuff out there? This is what you just said. I think that's why so many people just get sucked into living there mm -hmm. because it is a comfy lifestyle. You can get anything at the click of your fingers. Mm. Um, like if you think, oh, I've not got my shopping in, you can get your full weekly shop in an hour's brought time. Brought up to your house, brought yeah. up to the room as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's insane. Everything is just so quick. You don't even have to put petrol in your car. Mm. Um, and the earning potential, obviously there's no tax. It is expensive to live there, mm -hmm. but if you're self-employed or you're going down that sort of route, the earning potential definitely outweighs the cost of living there. Yeah. Um, but, and I, I saw that and I considered it going self-employed, but Dubai just wasn't, for me i'm very like i'll make decisions based on feelings yeah and like i was like okay this isn't my place i'm over i love nature mm -hmm. if you're a nature lover dubai yeah. is not well, it's a big desert, isn't it, really exactly it's all just it's a concrete jungle i mean it's amazing yeah. yeah but yeah i was just like yeah there is and so many people said that people that didn't know it said why are you going home the potential to earn mm. so much money here is insane like you could smash it i'm like yeah, but it's not just about yeah. the money that you can make there. You didn't want to take that step into the kind of trap of, you're not going to enjoy it here, but you're then going to feel stuck because you can make so much money. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I do, you know, I've, I've spoken to people about it and I, I understand how the economics work and everyone's like, oh yeah, but it's way more expensive. So in terms of like people wanting to go out to Dubai, is there anything that they should... You know, do you have any sort of insight into, you know, just how much things cost and stuff like that? Because I think that's probably, as a personal trainer, there's a there's a lot of things that people would probably be thinking about if they wanted to go to Dubai. To Dubai, is there anything like, is there? Any, can you give anybody any context on? Um, the biggest thing is just join the Facebook groups. Right. If you're going out there maybe start off with a shared apartment, mm -hmm. things like that. And it's so easy to find people to live with. There's apps like, for example, before I moved over, I just went on to Bizzle and I managed yeah. to find an apartment and I was just sharing with random people. Um, but it's just to get yourself set up and then you can explore Dubai, decide where it is that you want to live mm -hmm. before you then put down a year's rent yeah. on somewhere. 
Yeah, so that's a lot. Of, that's something that people probably don't realise that you know in the UK there's the option to pay direct debits, monthly direct debits for rent, whereas it, in Dubai it's checks, right? So yeah, you you can pay for one year, which is cheaper, or two checks, which is one six month intervals, four checks quarterly. Yeah. I think that's something that people probably don't because that's so um, alien to people in, living in England. Is was that something that was surprised you? Yeah, and it was a tough one because when I eventually moved into my own apartment, trying to find somewhere that I didn't have to put down a year's rent on was quite difficult. Mm -hmm. There is options to pay monthly, but mm -hmm. it does end up being a little bit more expensive. It jumps right up, doesn't it? Yeah, and the prices of apartments have totally shot up at the mm -hmm. minute. It's really like quite expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, apparently the landlords don't really like people paying monthly as well. No, they don't. Um, and landlords tend to chuck people out after the year's contract because they know they can only increase someone's rent by a certain amount. So it's easier for them to chuck someone out and mm. get someone else in and just shoot the price up. Right. That happened to a couple of people that I know out there. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. It's a very kind of cutthroat place, isn't it, in terms of... Yeah. I know from my experiences of kind of... Um, teaching the personal training course in the gyms there, you know, things that you just wouldn't see in England, like personal trainers literally approaching other people's clients and <laughs> saying, why are you training with that person? You should train with me. Especially kind of like personal trainers who'd come from, it wasn't obviously like British personal trainers weren't really doing that because obviously it's not something that you'd, that you'd experience here. But I know a lot of the kind of... Um, there's a lot of guys like personal training from those kind of southern European countries. So like Slovakia, um, Slovenia, Romania, and they would literally just like just clear as day, just go up to someone and be like, oh, I know that you're training with this person. Do you want to come train with me? I'll do it cheaper. <laughs> like that's wild. Yeah. See, I didn't see or experience any of that side of things. Yeah. But you do notice the difference in people's worth ethics. Yeah. From different places they've had I think it's because to come back to England it's so easy to do and it's mm. still a comfy move yeah whereas some people they don't want to go back to their home country yeah. because they do have it so so much better like yeah. the earning potential is even more yeah so it's like probably probably UK compared to Dubai it's probably like a 5x earning potential on like you know if the average personal trainer earns two grand in the UK a month they probably earn you know, but eight in Dubai or eight to 10. Whereas in some countries, it might be 20x yeah. the earning potential, which obviously makes a, a huge difference. I think, um, like you said there, it is so easy to kind of come back to the UK, isn't it? And you yeah. can just kind of fit right back in. It is. And then, for example, if I wanted to move back out, it would be super easy for me to get a visa. And away we are quite privileged being from the UK because I know some people from the Philippines they are wanting to go back home but then they're like if I go back home it's gonna be really hard if I change my mind to then get a visa to come back oh, really? out again yeah so it's like they have that that can also keep you stuck there mm. um whereas for us it's very very easy if you just decide to go back out there again you could do it yeah so what's the process for someone then if they're wanting to kind of move out of Dubai um would you say it's like quite straightforward to apply for a, for a gym job? What was the, where did you go to and what, what were the gyms that you went to and how did that work? So because I was working in a private gym um, and the based all over the world. So I was doing teams interviews with that gym 
Um, and they've also got a gym down in Manchester. So I just went to Manchester for my interview. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was super easy to do. Um, and then, yeah, I would maybe say if you're looking to move over, unless you've already got a really big online client base, if you're moving over and starting from scratch, then I'd recommend going through a company. So then, and there's a few, quite a few different companies you could go through. So easy to find as well. Um, that would just help get you set up there, really. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's not too difficult, you'd say, then? Not, just it's, not at And all. do you think that's a good idea to kind of go over there with a job so that they sort your visa? And then would you have said it would have been quite easy for you to transfer over to self-employed once you'd been out there for a bit? I'd say so, yeah, yeah. Once you've, like, made and built connections with your clients, um, and then there is so many personal trainers out there but there is so many people who need personal trainers mm. as well. Um, and I think there's a good niche for females. Right. Because um, there's some female-only gyms. Yeah. And some people, for like religious reasons, yes, can only train, train with, with a female. Yeah. So I think if you take sort of take advantage of that, you can really like, do well over there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in terms of, um, you know, going over there and, and kind of building your connections, did you feel like it was, what was the, the best way to actually, you know, network and stuff over there? What did you find that was most successful for building client relations and just, you know, meeting people? So because I never had to get my own clients, I was really lucky. The gyms I worked for, they supplied you with clients. Right. Um, so I didn't have to do any of that going out there and networking. Okay. Um, but I mean, because everyone knows everyone, it's just, it's very easy to get referrals from friends and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it'd be hard to build a business there at yeah. all. I guess as well, you're saying now that there's a lot of people who want a personal trainer. I guess a lot, because it's, there's, there's so much, you know, good opportunity financially out there. There's a lot of people with disposable income who can afford there a is. personal trainer. So even though there's a lot of personal trainers, there's far more people who are in the market to be able to afford, because, you know, personal training is a luxury. It is, um, yeah. So would you just say that because there's, you know, so much wealth there that there's just so much more need for personal trainers? Yeah, so people have that money. They don't really think twice about spending it. And people now know that you need a personal trainer, mm. knowing a lot more now than what you used to. And I think it's a lot more common now to have a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, some people not everyone, but some people would have gyms in the house. Mm. So it, it could be so convenient for them just to hire a freelancer to come to the house, do the session. And how much easier is that? You don't have the, oh, I've got to drive to the gym and mm. do this and do that. It cuts out all of that. It's just so easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah, that makes total sense. And um, you're just saying there about um, everybody realizing that they need a personal trainer. So do you think there's been a massive shift in terms of people um, realizing that, you know, it, it is better to get a coach than try and go at your own? What's the, what what have you noticed around that? I think so. I feel like having a personal, tra- you'll hear a lot more people saying, oh yeah, I've got a PT. Mm-hmm. So much more now than you ever used to yeah, hear. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and I feel like people are now starting to see the value of having a personal trainer compared to just going and doing a circuits class or like a random bodyweight boot camp and now starting to see that's not actually what my body needs or if I mm. want to look a certain way doing those 
classes isn't going to get me there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like... I definitely think with the people that you discussed that you were training there, you know, it's outsourcing that responsibility. So, you know, personal training at its core and broken down to its, to its elements is outsourcing motivation, the knowledge around training and the, the discipline. So yeah. rather than having to, you know, do all of those things and figure all those things out for yourself, you say, okay, I'm a pilot or work in a bank or I'm, I'm extremely busy and traveling. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to focus on that and my family or whatever responsibilities I have. And you're going to focus on my health, fitness and overall body composition goals. Go. And yeah. I'll come in and I'll do what you tell me to. And there's no thinking. There's no thought process from me. I tell you what I want to achieve. You figure it out and I'll do what you tell me to. Do you feel like that's really what you noticed in those people? Yeah. And these people, the high achievers. So if you tell some, like, because of the position that they're in, they are absolute high achievers. They've like excelled in everything that they've ever done. And sometimes fitness is that thing that they've neglected and they mm. don't know. So if you tell someone you need to do this, this and this, they're like, and you have to check off these boxes. That's what's gonna, if you do that, that's what's gonna get you to where you wanna be. Yeah. So they're like, right, let's go. I know now that I need to do this, this and this. And then yeah. they also know if they don't do that, they can't complain. Yeah. Because- Well, they only have, you know, a, a certain amount of bandwidth when it comes to their priorities and, yeah. and what they're gonna focus on. And like you said there, often that can get left by the, the roadside, the actual looking after their physical fitness when they're juggling other responsibilities and trying to dominate their chosen field. Um, so obviously back from Dubai now, transitioned in to being back in the, in the cold, in the rain. What's next for you in terms of <laughs> where do you see the, the journey going with fitness and personal training? Um, I feel like I've been quite lucky with the weather since moving back. Maybe it's not today. It's going downhill now. July's always <laughs> yeah. rainy. June's okay. July and August aren't as good as you think they're going to be. I know. I moved back. I was like, this is amazing. And yeah. now I'm like, oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's more just expanding my online coaching more. And also now I'm doing face-to-face -face again, mm -hmm. which I'm really excited about. So do you enjoy doing the face-to-face -face stuff? I love it. Yeah. yeah. I feel, I love both online and face-to-face. -face. Um, quite a lot of my online clients or our past clients that I've had face-to-face, -face, which I find really helpful. Okay, that makes sense. Um, Rather than lose them if they move away or if they no longer require that in-depth one-to-one training, they might have built the foundations to be able to do things. You can retain them on a yeah. on a on a more um, suitable price point for the amount of time. Yeah, definitely. I just feel like the connection you get with people working with them face to face is just next level, mm -hmm. and especially for people who are so busy or just for anyone. Just having someone asking them these questions mm -hmm. like, "How's your day been? How did you sleep?" They don't get asked that by anybody else. Yeah. And I just think that's how you make such good connections with your clients because they're getting asked these these questions. You genuinely like care about them that you don't that they don't get asked by anyone else. Yeah. I think as well, it's becoming more of a premium service because, you know, I always talk about the analogy of back in the day you would get loads of mail and you would very rarely get any emails. So getting an email, you'd be more likely to open it because 
you know, when I first set up my email account, I think I've had my email account for close to 20 years now. That's because I, <laughs> I got it when I was quite young. But, you know, few and far between. You could open your email inbox and there'd be no emails in yeah. there. Now, because I've had that email for so long and I use it for kind of as my default for being able to get into Wi-Fi's and, you know, get, it's the one that I put in when they ask yeah. for an email because I, I don't really get any important stuff sent there. You know, some, some days it's 250 emails. Yeah. And now I don't get letters as much through the door because yeah. everything's kind of online. So I'm going to open every letter that comes to me. And it's like that complete switch in mindset between, you know, digital assets being more valued than physical assets because it's rare. You know, back in the day, having a website would have been, would have set you apart from everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day, having a good online digital presence would have been the most important thing. Now, if you've got some cool business cards that you're handing out, that might stick in people's minds more yeah. because everything's so digitalized now that actually in-person things can have a bit of a, you know, they're tangible and people can feel them. And, and, you know, a lot of companies, when they're trying to make an impression, they, they'll send something physical out because everything seems to be digital at the moment. And I think that that's the kind of direction that fitness could be going in to the point where everything's kind of going online now and being digitalized, but actually being able to speak to a real person, being able to like communicate with someone, the value of that's going up, I believe. Yeah, I agree. And then, cause there was this whole, our oh, chat, GPT, mm -hmm. it's going to take over online coaches. But as long as you're doing check-ins and building in connections with those clients, yeah. no computer system can take that over because it just provides a total different yeah. element. It's just, yeah, next level. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of things are going to be automated by AI, like a hell yeah. of a lot of those like processes. I think the key is to not get caught in no man's land, mm. whereby you're providing a, a replicable online service whereby you're just kind of sending things out and doing you know check-ins with people you know over time those sort of things are going to be replaced by ai because the machine learning algorithms are so good i mean i've got duolingo on my phone and that's now got ai so you can ask it questions and it responds to you you know if if your product and service was just providing answers to questions then that's going to get replaced. Providing plans to people, that's going to get replaced. Yeah. It's, and you know, it's, it's going to get replaced, but the people who are doing it are still going to be profitable from it. So like, if you go through an online coach, it's just going to, it's more for the, the clients than, because AI has to be used by somebody. So yeah. it's more, the, the clients are going to get their service and they're going to believe that they're speaking to their coach, but it's going to be automated and they're going to pay more to know that they're speaking to a real person. Yeah. They're going to pay more to see a real person. Yeah. Like already, like a lot of things are going online, doctor's appointments. Um, people are going to want to go and actually physically in person see someone because they feel like they're getting care and attention. Exactly. So and then what are you going to follow? If, some, if a computer is asking you questions about have you stuck to your macros or whatever, mm -hmm. you can just ignore it. But mm -hmm. if you're face to face with someone and exactly. they're asking you this, it holds a, it keeps you accountable mm -hmm. 10 times more. Yeah. 
because then you're like you know your PT is going to be asking you these questions whereas yeah. a computer a little notification or whatever it is mm-hmm. you're just like ah whatever it's just yeah. it's just another notification mm-hmm. you're already getting bombarded with everything else it reduces that accountability thing it so is. like outsourcing that accountability you know I've I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently and they're you know um I was listening to a podcast with Dave Goggins not so long ago and he was talking about how um discipline is better than motivation and obviously motivation's a, a fleeting emotion that comes and goes and discipline something that you can build and he was saying that you know neither of those things are that important if you don't have you know your your mental state correct i believe more important than discipline and more useful is accountability yeah i can be disciplined I can be undisciplined, sorry, and unmotivated. But if I know my friends meet me at the gym at 6.30 in the morning, I'm going to be there, maybe at 6.35, but I'm going to be there because I don't want to let them down. Yeah. So it's, you know, because I know that they're going to be there and that they've got an expectation that I'm going to be there and there's more than just me, I'm more likely to do it. So I think the, the same with a coach. If you book a session in, you're going to be there. Yeah. Um, unless something really bad happens because otherwise you feel like you're letting them down. Yeah, 100%. And I agree with that. And I, you get clients and they'll come in for the first consultation and the first session and they're so motivated. They're like, yeah, ready to go. And they don't know that their motivation will just drop. So I always, there's always a conversation that needs to be had with them there. And motivation is just an emotion Mm -hmm. you can't expect yourself to be happy 100% of the day it's like what you said it comes in waves so happiness is just like a wave it Mm -hmm. peaks and it dips that's exactly what your motivation is going to do so you can't rely on being motivated 100% of the time because it's just such an unrealistic expectation to have of yourself so then to have that awareness and and to know that that's okay to feel like that, mm-hmm. but then to also have that accountability from somewhere else, it's just, that's what's going to keep you going. You can't rely on just motivation by itself. Yeah. Just, just talking about the, the AI thing, how do you see AI, you know, have you, have you gave any thought to how it might affect the fitness industry? Obviously, you know, you are in the fitness industry. AI is here. I know that people are like, <laughs> It's definitely here. I mean, a lot more things than people think are AI already. Yeah. I mean, I know that, you know, I've seen some things recently about um, people think things are years and years away when they're actually already happening just it's in like true. a, but just not in the way that people assumed. Like I remember when, when people were younger, they were like, oh, robots are going to take people's jobs. And everyone was like, no, they're not. They already have yeah. like self-service. Yeah. In Asda is a robot taking somebody's job. It's just not a human looking robot, you know. Yeah. The, do you know what I mean? It's not like an iRobot sort of thing walking around like putting groceries in your bag or anything. It's it's a it's a machine which has took a job that used to be somebody's job. And I think that, you know, it it's here more than people realise. I mean, I've seen um slightly off topic, but you know, the fitness industry is is, is a service, I guess you class this as a service as well. There's now, you, do you know how people have like OnlyFans and yeah. people can message them and the, basically the, the main thing that they're paying for is the person messaging backwards and forwards. So it's like, you know, you're essentially p- kind of paying for a girlfriend or a boyfriend, <laughs> depending on who it is. Now people are like using those AI chatbots to respond 
Really? So, well, if you think, if, if someone's got like, you know, 100,000 subscribers, I don't really know how it works, but if someone's got like, you know, tons of subscribers and they're getting, even if they've got 10,000 subscribers and the average subscriber messages them five times a day, how are they possibly going to... Impossible. Yeah. And I know that people were paying people to, like, replies if they were them. But now with AI, just... Get a, yeah, get a computer to do it. Just replying. So now you've got people sat at home who genuinely think they're speaking to a person who are speaking to a computer and, like, forming an emotional connection. It's crazy because I've used, like, the apps and stuff, like the ChatGPT mm -hmm. app and stuff before, and you can get it to write a message or get it to write something out and then you can if you're like oh I don't like the way that sounds mm -hmm. you can make it sound more motivational yeah. or more like this or more like that and you can make it sound like a human it's yeah. not like what people would expect it just to be like solid information straight no, from Google good. it's like it literally is as if it was me yeah or a, a human yeah. talking top tip for ChatGPT: always after you get it to write something ask it to write it in English um, UK English because all, all of its spellings are always American. American so I can always tell when someone's used it on LinkedIn to write their caption because all of the, the spellings <laughs> are American yeah, <laughs> and like words with like letters missing so I can always see if someone's used ChatGPT to write their LinkedIn thing because it always has the American spellings but um, no I, I mean I got it I was like I want to do um, a four-week training plan um, focused on upper chest and triceps, um, but a full body, but with those places as an um, emphasis. I then said I want to train three times per week and I wanted to progressively get over, like progressive overload. Um, it wrote me out a plan in like seconds. And then, you know, I just started playing around with it. I was just saying, I've got a bit of a niggle in my left shoulder. Can we, can we work around that? It started replacing barbell exercises with free weight exercises Did it? and like explaining it that's mental that is insane mm -hmm. it that's was genuinely crazy. good like i could follow that plan if i just wanted a plan to follow yeah and uh obviously the difference is is the and, and the reason i don't think coders are too worried about ai and i, and I kind of saw this because obviously eventually ai is gonna be able to write code it relies on you be able, being able to ask it exactly what you want Right. And that's what people are terrible at. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I can ask it to write me a plan like that based on that because I could write me a plan like that based on that. Yeah. Do you know, so the prompts I'm giving it are good. Like I've asked it to be progressively overloaded. Mm. I've said I've got a niggle. I've asked it to take out certain exercises because I've got a knowledge around and that you area. you know exactly what it needs to have in it. Exactly. Whereas a total beginner yeah. isn't necessarily exactly. going to know that. Yeah. Like you... That's what coders were saying, that it relies on the client being able to articulate exactly what yeah, they want. And obviously true. clients are terrible at articulating exactly what they want. <laughs> they don't know what they want. That's why they come to you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But what an amazing tool, if you're a trainer, to just get the bulk out, just, yeah. the, just the structure or the, you know, automating the things that you're already good at and then going in and adding your, like, your nuance and your perspective. Yeah, yeah. Is that something that you think? Definitely. I just think it's amazing, but at the same time, it's a bit, are we just going to get dumb? Like everyone's just going to rely on mm. using AI all the time. And instead of thinking and doing it yourself. <sighs> when the printing press started, people were against it because it, they thought that writing things down in books would worsen people's memory. 
Do you know what I mean? People yeah. people are always going to object to things because there's, you know, a lack of clarity around it. You know, people were against books because they yeah. thought it would make people stupider because they wouldn't have to remember things as much. Mm. Obviously now we can look at that and realise that, you know, maybe it did, but also it was really beneficial to write things down. Yeah. And writing things down was the right thing to do and creating books has been, you know, beneficial. So I do think there's always going to be kind of pushback because people are unsure about it. But I think if you're a smart professional who has got good interpersonal skills, then you can utilize a, it's almost like a tool, isn't it? You can, yeah. can utilize AI as a tool to kind of get ahead of the competition. Yeah. And it gives you so much more time mm. to, as long as you're sort of still making use of your time mm -hmm. and putting the effort in, in other areas and you are literally just using that yeah. to get out what you would put anyways, it's yeah. just a time efficient way of doing mm -hmm. things. Um, but as long as I feel like you just not solely rely on relying mm. on it, which I think is a slight downside to it. I think quite a lot of people out there who don't really know what they're doing in the fitness industry mm -hmm. or maybe they don't have the experience, they're going to come across like they know all this stuff. Yes. When that's not actually true. Yes, it's it's making it plausible for people to pose as It's easy to fake experts. it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And I think that you know, people can, there's a lot of people who are now able to just regurgitate information that they don't truly understand. Yeah. Um, which I feel like is something that the fitness is kind of rife in the fitness industry. In terms of the fitness industry then, we'll, we'll, um, what do you, what are some things that you dislike about the fitness industry? Because oh. I never really ask people bad things. I feel like I always keep things very like positive, but what are some things that you don't like about the fitness industry? Oh, what do I not like about the fitness industry? Anything in particular? Mm, I think it's just how opinionated it is, mm. which is good. There's just everything you post, everything anyone does has pros and cons to it. Of course. And yeah. because everything is so heavily like biased, mm -hmm. like to someone's personal bias, yeah, that can then come across wrong to one person or for example yeah. if like a bikini athlete mm -hmm. is trying to get someone who just needs to start moving more just starts to eat a little bit better if they're if that bikini athlete is like trying to get them to stick to what they would do yeah then that's not going to be beneficial for them and it makes that person think i can't do this it's too strict i can't fit that into my life yeah that's a downside to it but as long as you can work around different clients and know that everyone, you know Things that I work mean? for certain people don't work for others. 100%. And I think that's, you know, you can lend, you lend personal experience to a lot of things. So personally, I like doing certain sort of exercises and actually that changes. I go through periods of wanting to do, you know, mainly weights, bro splits, just getting <laughs> yeah. in the gym and doing them. And I feel enjoying motivated it. doing it, yeah. enjoying it, getting bigger, Sometimes I, I enjoy doing more sport and implementing a lot more sport. Sometimes I like doing um, more functional training. Sometimes I want to get out and do stuff outside. And I, I go through real kind of periods myself. And for me, it's just reducing tedium. So just uh, trying to stay motivated by yeah. not having things too repetitive. And that would have always transferred over to my clients. So what I was doing at the time, I would implement a lot more of that. And generally speaking, 
if you do something long enough, you'll reap results from it. And, you know, sticking to something and, and maintaining that level of focus and motivation is going to help you massively. But the confusing thing is, is that you can follow two different experts, literal experts. Like I'm yeah. not using experts as a, some people think they're experts, they're not. I'll give you an example. There's a guy who I follow who's like a doctor and he, everything's 90 degrees. He won't go past 90 degrees. I don't know if you've seen him on social media. He uses like a lot of bands and things. He trains like NFL players, okay. um, baseball players, and he doesn't do any exercise past 90 degrees. Right. Um, and his whole thing is that squats, he doesn't go like very deep with them, bench press, like okay. everything he does is joints are at 90 degrees. And he's, he's got wrote a whole book about it and that's his whole thing. And he gets amazing results with people. And he's very, very deep in that whole 90 degree thing. And he's very like exaggerated with his, with his training, but you know, he's training professional athletes who are getting results. Yeah. And then I follow the knees over toes guy. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, who's just on the complete, you know, just hyper, um, like extension and just real the, <laughs> full as, dorsiflexion. <laughs> yeah, as as far through range of motion yeah. as you could possibly possibly imagine, to the point where he looks like a contortionist at sometimes. <laughs> and they're just both right. That's it, the thing. You can back up anything. Yeah, it's not right or wrong. It's just different. Yeah, and that one works for him and one works for him. Yeah, yeah. Another thing I don't like about the fitness industry it just come to is there is how easy it is for people to become PTs. Mm. I just think that really needs to be changed. It really needs to be looked at. Um, for example, I used to work with a PT um, and she just became a PT mm -hmm. over COVID online. And it's like, she got a job, but didn't know how to use a squat rack, has never lifted yeah. weights before. And that's fine if you're going to specialize in something else. Mm. But if you're going to then teach people how to lift weights, but you don't know how to lift weight, yeah. weights yourself, how can you be a qualified personal trainer? That's a very good point. I've got two things on that. So one of the guys that I was speaking to about a personal training academy recently, and we're going to be helping him run a personal training academy, wants to put a prerequisite of how long the people have had to lift for yeah. before they can actually do the course. That's good. So he's saying that he wants people to have two to three years experience in a gym consistently lifting weights before they can apply. I thought that that would be the case anyway. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know why you would necessarily think about doing it. You don't necessarily have to have lifted weights, but just done some form of physical exercise i think for me getting your qualification and being a personal trainer are two different things yeah. you can be a qualified personal trainer but if you don't have any clients then you're not a personal you can have a personal training certificate yeah but unless you're coaching people you're not a personal trainer i think like you know you could have been through you could have been through basic training to be a soldier but you're not a soldier if you're not in the army yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you just go through basic training and stop, you're not a soldier. You might have trained. You've just done the and training. And you might know how to do it, but you're not... I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. Um, obviously, if you've been in the army and then left, I think you can still always class yourself as a soldier. But having a qualification and being a personal trainer is like having a driving license and being a driver. It's like you do one, but then you have to actually learn on the job as well it's kind of like 
they've got the license to drive a car, mm -hmm. but then they've just got a job driving a lorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. You probably want to. You, you probably want to get some. You know, actual in-person experience. I think that it's very difficult because, in terms of how long do you think a personal training course should last? Oh, see, mine lasted a year. Mm -hmm. But I know some people do it in six weeks, but it could easy be. I think six weeks is short. I think the experience I've had, it's very difficult. 14 weeks is like an average personal training course length. But can you learn everything you need to know to be a personal trainer in 14 weeks? Definitely not. The problem is, is can you learn everything you need to know to be a personal trainer in 10 years? This is a thing because going back to the driving a car, you'll pass your test, mm -hmm. but then I feel like you really do learn to drive when you start driving on your own. Mm -hmm. So there is that side of things as well. You do learn so much on yeah. the job, but I just think there is so much more that you need to learn before you should be allowed to coach people on the gym floor. Yeah. And there should be a lot more um, sort of psychology elements to it as mm -hmm. well, because you're working with people and you don't really, and it's all about understanding different types of people and their different needs and how to communicate with different types of people. Yeah. The course doesn't cover any of that. And that's such a huge part, in my opinion, yeah. of personal training. Well, it's per I think, you know, personal training, the key, the keys in the word, it's personal first. Yeah. You know, it's, you're not just training people. You are, there's personal elements to it. And there is a lot of cycle. Well, there's a lot of, you know, um, nurturing that goes into it. There's a lot of understanding people. What do you want? I want to, I just want to lose 20 kilos. Okay, cut your arm off then. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Cut your leg off. If you want to lose, if that's all you want is to lose 20 kilos. It's not actually, you don't do you. You want to look better or do you want to look better? Why? Or do you want to feel better? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There's like, there's different levels. Oh, you don't have a lot of self-confidence. Oh, you don't feel good about, do you know what I mean? There's like, it's understanding People are going to say one thing to you, but they don't know it, but they want something else. And it's, you know, you're not going to be happy when you lose 20 kilos. If yeah. you still um, have a poor relationship with food, if you still have poor relationships in your life because you don't have good boundaries and you don't feel like you can commit to anything and you feel, you know, like you're not a very motivated person or, or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, that deeper why Sometimes clients don't even realize what their deeper why is. It could mm -hmm. be something a partner said that's triggered this insecurity inside of them that's mm -hmm. then made them think, I need to go to the gym. If they don't realize that. They just think, oh, I need to go to the gym. Mm -hmm. And it's breaking down those building blocks. It's building the communication with someone. Unless you've built that solid relationship with someone, you'll never get to yeah. the deeper why. You don't learn any of that. Here's a question then. So... You've been learning training for 10 years. You've in incredible shape yourself. You do a course for a year. It's very in depth. You learn everything about anatomy and physiology, training methods, blah, 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 blah. You're boring. People don't like spending time with you. And you are incredibly difficult to relate to. Are you a good personal trainer? Well. People literally can do a one 10 week block with you. And then you're literally, you could turn a glass eye, you could put a glass eye to sleep. It depends what the person's after. Because 
that could be quite a let's go 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 mm. no time for chatting kind yeah. of approach and some people might just want that yeah there's something so like i suppose that. it depends what the client wants it's just very difficult where would you know there's a the, the problem with and I, I totally understand where you're coming from it's very paradoxical mm. you need experience to get clients and to be able to train them well but unable to train clients well and get clients you need experience so it's like you know it's a cycle of yeah you become better by practicing personal training but you need to practice personal training in order to become better, better. if you know what i mean so yeah. what's a you know one of the solutions that we've seen when, when we've been involved in personal training courses is trying to give people a test subject when they're doing their course so under supervision they get a chance to train somebody for kind of 12 weeks do you think something like that on a on a larger you know would you think something like that's a solution yeah so more of like a mentoring well just actually so when you're doing your course you actually get a client yeah to kind of under supervision do you know just like if you were doing if you're doing a medical degree you would go and do actual shadowing in the hospital and you would start helping you would yeah. like you know you'd do some hand holding the last thing you want is your first client to be after you've passed on the gym floor with no experience yeah do you know what i mean you want to have had some practical experience in a controlled environment do you think that's the 100 percent? yeah it's like physios you wouldn't have a physio you could you could not qualify as a physio without doing placements mm -hmm. there should be a lot more placement work before you then qualified a class as a personal trainer yeah. um yeah 100 like a certain amount of hours actually in the industry doing it and not just hours hoovering the gym floor of course hours actually hands-on yeah. with a client shadowing another trainer yeah yeah so definitely. i i kind of did my so when i finished my personal training qualification i kind of got like an apprenticeship in a gym so i teamed up with a, a qualified personal trainer who'd been who'd had experience working the nhs and, and all sorts and i became his kind of apprentice um so I would shadow him, do things around the gym. I'd start taking warm-ups. So I would do the warm-ups for everybody. Eventually, I'd start taking the warm-up and the cool-down. Eventually, I'd start taking the warm-up and the cool-down and do the core exercise. Yeah. And it was kind of building up like that. Do you think that could be a, a more sustainable route to have practical experience under your belt, but without actually, you know being left alone in your own devices yeah 100 percent. like you learn so much more being hands-on mm -hmm. than sat in a classroom i'm not saying the classroom stuff is irrelevant because of course it's not you need yeah. to do all of that um but yeah you just learn so much more from actually being there in the role and just working with different people and seeing how another professional how mm -hmm. they handle different situations or how they handle different conversations with clients as well yeah. So what would you advise then just to just to seek some sort of shadowing? Yeah. So before you actually get into it, actually seek some shadowing. Or would you argue that they should do that before they even start the course? I'd say along if you definitely want to be a personal trainer, yeah. then do it alongside the course. Yeah. There's so many private gyms or independent gyms that you could contact. I'm sure they would let someone go along. I think there's a lot of ego in the fitness industry, isn't there? If you are like, oh, I respect you as a personal trainer, can I come and shadow you? Uh, yeah, They're going to say yes, aren't they? Yeah. They're going to be like, oh, oh, yeah, you want to come and see me? <laughs> <laughs> people would be though, wouldn't yeah. they? Like, 
So yeah, I think, um, <laughs> no, I think that's really interesting about the, the personal training courses because I think it's, it's such a fine line between, you know, the, the, the companies that are responsible for the education and, and we work with a, a lot of like academies who train people to become personal trainers and they all implement that shadowing. That's kind of the, their base um, product that they, that they offer alongside of it is the actual practical shadowing. It's just interesting to hear it from a, a, a personal trainer that they think that that's something that is, is valuable because it's, you know, it's, it is extremely difficult to break into the industry when you've not done anything before. And yeah, I think that's probably the, the hardest thing for people, isn't it? Yeah, I think a huge thing that's missed out in the training is working with females as right. well okay. and how different that is and just learning about how a female and how, like how you said yourself mm -hmm. earlier, how you found working with females more difficult than working with guys. Yeah. There is a lot more elements to working with a female, yeah. like working around their menstrual cycle and yeah. all of that plays a huge part in things. I was reading um, a study that was saying that women shouldn't weight train the week leading up to and the week after their period. Apparently it's like they, they, they should like periodize their weight training around like two weeks of like heavy weight training and then like back off a week before and a week after. That's just something that I'd never even, I had never even ever asked if someone was on their period. Like I wouldn't even ask. Yeah. I wouldn't even want to ask. Do you know what I mean? I would just. Because you've, you would yeah, never think to ask. I would never even think, yeah. Yeah, whereas yeah. now, because I'm so open with my clients, yeah. I'll just say to them, oh, whereabouts are you on your cycle? Yeah. And it's just, it's not even an awkward thing. We would just talk about it. Yeah. And it's so important, especially if someone's weight has just gone up. Do you find it more difficult? Do you, do you find different difficulties like during your cycle in terms of like weight training? Is that something that you can test? Like obviously this study, I, I was just reading it like briefly. I wasn't getting yeah. deep into it. Um, obviously it was, I was never going to find any practical application in it. I think it's hard when you're reading studies because there's not been enough studies mm. done. And plus like women are difficult. Like not all of our cycles are yeah, exactly the same. So I think because it's, just new, newly being researched and because it's hard to research it. During a month, do you feel like definite dips or increases in your strength levels? Like, I can you actually be like- definite, but I do- But what about like energy levels? Cause obviously do, that can affect Yeah, your, I do feel how it affects my training. For example, even just sometimes I just feel really hot when I'm like, why do I feel so hot? And right. I'm like, oh, it's because where I am on my cycle. Or, mm. or sometimes I'm quite lucky. I don't get like really bad cramps, but sometimes you like, you blow it in. I feel a little bit sick right. and I can't push my training yeah. as much because I have those feelings. And that's yeah. literally just where I am on my cycle. And if you're with a client and you're telling them to just keep pushing, keep pushing, yeah. that client might be feeling really uncomfortable if you're yeah. not aware of, what they're experiencing. So this study was actually about how women have been told to train like men and it's wrong basically. Just like smaller men. So yeah, yeah, small men. I just keep seeing people <laughs> like women on small men. I, <laughs> I just keep seeing that everywhere. I don't even know what that means. Dude. But um, it was basically about how a lot of the training styles, techniques and everything like that has been based around men's training and yeah. just applied to women. So like fasted cardio, it was saying it's terrible for women for example, yeah. just like little things like that that you just well. wouldn't, because of just like female hormones and when they're secreted and things, 
apparently fasted cardio isn't good for them and stuff. Just like a variety of different things like that that I'd never really yeah. contemplated before. But anyway, we're getting to the hour mark now. Um, so just gonna, you know, I think it's been really interesting speaking to you about your journey so far. Um, is there anything else that you can think of? Think of? No, I think we've covered no, quite a lot yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. Well, it was really good to um, it was really good to get you on and, and chat to you about the Dubai thing. And I think it can be really useful for people who are thinking of going to a different country to pursue their their fitness career. Um, and yeah, we'll keep a close eye on what you're doing and, and good luck with everything. Amazing. Thank you. No worries whatsoever. Thanks again for coming in. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers.